0: Hey, everybody, this is Nate Smoyer, and you're listening to the Tech Nest podcast. This is the show where we sit down with the leaders in real estate and technology to find out what they're doing to transform the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. If you've got an interest in real estate and technology, stick around. You're in the right place. Well, hey, Lawrence, welcome to the show.
1: Great. Thanks, Nate. Thanks for being here.
0: We're
2: we're both at work. So, for those of you who don't know, this is going to be a a really fun episode. Uh, Lawrence is Well, I don't want to introduce you, actually. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, let everyone know who you are and what you do.
1: Sure. Uh, Well, I'm one of the co-founders of Avail. So Avail is software designed specifically for do-it-yourself landlords who own less than 10 properties, uh, ideally designed for landlords with one to five units. Um, I'm one of those landlords, so as part of the genesis for starting the company, started it about seven years ago and been plugging away at it ever since. here we are today. So
2: you're the co-founder, but what's your official? Uh, what's your actual job at, at the company now?
1: Uh, I feel like I'm a little bit of a generalist or a Swiss Army knife here, kind of just going wherever problems arise. I'll, I'll swoop in and see what I can do about um, removing some obstacles and clearing those problems. So uh, don't have a specific title necessarily, but uh, Swiss, Swiss Army knife.
2: Okay, because I've been describing you as the COO and all the... Descriptions is sure. that accurate? Yeah, that's, that's totally fine. <laughs> yeah, so I, guess I got promoted. I guess. Lawrence, is, yeah, Lawrence is my boss here. Uh, well, cool. So you know, I thought this was going to be fun. So um, you know, we've had Brian, who's the other co-founder on the <laughs> show, and that was way back when. That was obviously before I joined the company. Uh, and I thought it was about time. You know, I, hey, why not? Let's bring the other co-founder in on this. Uh, you guys kind of split uh, some of the roles. Uh, and the way you guys, you know, the companies run, and and I think uh, even in some of your expertise, which I think is a really good background. Uh, maybe you could shed some light. What's your background that led you to, you
0: know,
1: helping co-found Avail? Sure. Uh, well, both Ryan and I uh, have a finance background. Uh, both went to undergrad together, University of Illinois as finance majors. I think Ryan won up to me. He did the finance and accounting track. Um, and then when we both graduated, we kind of went different courses, Ryan did investment banking, and I'm sure you talked about that in your podcast. And I went down the business and risk consulting path, so consulting, um, which is more client focused. We have large clients that could range from any project having 10 consultants on it to 100 consultants. Um, and most of those for me tend to, to be like data analytics related engagements, mm-hmm. uh, where we were just writing SQL statements, trying to understand the data, trying to figure out how their business operates through the data lens, and uh, was there for about four and a half years left, joined Goldman Sachs, it's like Goldman Sachs as associate there, um, for over two years, and again, focused mostly on data analytics, supporting their hedge funds and alternative investments. So really had a huge data analytics background before we started Avail, which really helped, um, and that kind of shed the direction that Ryan and I went. So Ryan tended to focus then more on building the relationships external to Avail and I, started by building the initial product and kind of the internal mechanisms of Avail. Um, and then it helped that both of us were landlords as well. So he was managing two single family homes and I was managing a three flat here in Chicago. So it was a natural fit for us to kind of go this path.
2: Now, I happen to know a little bit about your beginnings as an investor. Okay. Uh, you shared, you and Ryan got started in a very unique way. Is that something that you can walk uh, walk people through here on what you know, what that was because I think it's pretty unique. I don't think it's the obvious path. Sure. And I think uh, that also says a lot to uh, how Avail has gotten to where it is today because there weren't a lot of obvious paths to get Avail to where it is today. Sure. I
1: think you're talking about the property tax lien certificate. Yes. Yes. Uh, Yeah. In college, Ryan and I needed extra spending cash and we were together taking a real estate course and the professor was talking about what would happen if you don't pay your property taxes. And uh, he went through all of the woes and concerns where you'd be paying these exorbitant fees and these investors make a killing off of you. And we're like, oh, that's interesting. How do we become those investors um, instead of the person who's paying the fees? And so we started digging into it and we looked at, okay, well, the way property taxing certificates work is if you don't pay your property taxes, the government still needs, or the local municipality still needs those funds to run their government business. And so what they'll do is they'll, sell off those liens to private investors who will come in and supply the cash. And then the government will coordinate getting back the money and paying you back plus interest from the person who owns the the property is responsible for the lien. And so that can end up having a 36% annual rate of return per year. So we're like, let's do this. Um, We raised a small amount of money from friends and family, went out and bought 42 tax lien certificates. And then, yeah, over the course of the next 18 months, we were just making a little bit of extra cash on the side through that investment. Um, it was good. That was the first time Ryan and I worked together. So we got a sense for how that would shape out. And I think when we, it was time to start this business, we knew we, we, we were confident working with each other since we had done it before.
2: Yeah. That's not the, I mean, I, as you can hear, I mean, that's not the obvious road to I need some extra cash. In college, I did uh, professional stunt show announcements. Yeah. I did cheesesteak vending at convention centers. You know, I it's I, different
1: than going to the blood bank. You
2: <laughs> know, well, I, I didn't start selling my blood plasma until after college, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> that's that's a real story. But uh, I think that says a lot. There, so are you still in the tax liens investment business?
1: No. So, and you know, as anything, real estate also evolves over time, and I think. 15 years ago when we were doing that, there weren't a lot of investors who were interested in that. And the way that that works is it's a reverse auction. So you're really bidding on the interest rate you're willing to accept. And when more investors come into it, um, any auction is going to drive down the value for the investor. Yep. And so yep. now I think on average, you're going to get a 2% annual return on that investment. At that time, we were getting 36%. So we we haven't done that since. Um, and instead of now gone the more traditional way uh, with real estate investing, but also non-traditional with the software startup.
2: Yeah, so you've got uh, a few more investments these days. Uh, You've got a few multi-families here in Chicago. Do you invest outside of Chicago?
1: Uh, No, so I've got two multi-families here in Chicago, and then I've got a car wash in the far north suburbs of Chicago. Uh,
2: What is it? So the car wash has always been fascinating to me, and we got a chance to talk about that previously uh i've always liked car washes because it's the kind of thing where anybody who is feeling the need has to drive by obviously up this far away north in the winter time it's great because you have to wash the salt off your car and then in the summertime you're trying to flex so you're making sure your car is looking good so it's great it's a year-round it's 24-7. Is yours 24-7?
1: Yeah, this one's 24-7. It's also self-service. So the the way it's laid out is there's six bays, four of them. You go in, you take the hose, you spray it down yourself, and then two of them are um, like smart bays. where you drive in and then the machine will automatically – you stay in your car and the machine will do yeah. everything. And you're right. In the wintertime, I think a lot of people think that business is going you know, to slow and it actually propels because you have to get the salt off your car. It's really right. and People will come in multiple times a week.
2: How do you compare a business like that to real estate? Does it – is there a direct comparison or do you have to learn a whole nother set of skills to be able to, you know, look at, evaluate, because obviously there's real estate involved here. Yep. So there is a real estate play, but then you've got the multiple of the business ta- attached to that. Is Are there some similarities or, and then really like what are the main differences you got to pay attention to?
1: I think there's a base level similarity where you are running a business with the car wash, but you're running a business when you own rent, rental properties and um, not to bring it back to available, one of the things that we always try to do with our landlords is help encourage them to realize that they're running a business with their rental properties. Right. And so, yeah, you have to start looking at what's the revenue you're bringing in for for rentals, it's rental income, and you have to start thinking about your expenses, which can include your mortgage, the maintenance, and those kinds of things. And the car wash is the same; you have to look at revenue and expenses. They're both a business. The complexity, I think, comes in with um, the depending on the nature of the business. With in the car wash. For instance, you, you've got a physical product besides the property that you're delivering. So you have to figure out what the right chemical balances are for the car wash. You're tweaking those things. You're having to buy from a vendor uh, on a regular basis. So you, all of a sudden, you start including suppliers and cost of goods. And there's an extra layer on top of it. But the base fundamentals is you're running a business and it's essentially the same.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously that's the, that's always been the one thing that's kind of, uh, I wasn't sure like how to do with a car wash. I know that one day I'm going to have a car wash. We're going to name it after our dog, Mr. Fox. It's going to be Mr.
1: Fox. I don't know. Car wash or Clean Mr. Fox or something like that. Yeah. I, I think car washes are good uh, to cash flowing business. Generally, yeah. um, like people need to wash their cars. Well, let's shift. I'm going to talk a little bit about,
2: um, what you do here at avail Um, so, you know, as a founder, you don't get the advantage that I get. So the advantage I get is, you know, I come in and I'm like, Hey, I've got this idea. Let's do this thing. And you're like, okay, yeah, sure. Let me show you the four ways we tried that and every which way it went wrong. So as the founder, you're, you're paving this path and you can look to other companies, but in our space, and especially when. You guys started 2012, right?
1: Yeah, 2012, we so we couldn't find an engineer to build the product for us necessarily. So right. we, 2012, we decided, hey, um, we're going to spend the next year or two trying to teach ourselves to code and build m- most of it from the ground up. Let's start there first. It, was that the right decision? I think if we had alternative paths, I, I would have preferred someone to own it <laughs> and build it for us for the next several decades. But at yep. that time, Chicago really starting to grow as a tech community, but wasn't there. So right. one, not a lot of engineers, not a lot of engineers are work, willing to work for equity when there's no tangible value in the business yet and really hard to get funding in Chicago. So you have to take kind of what I consider a Midwest mentality, which is do what it takes, roll up your sleeves, learn it yourself, yeah. do it yourself. And, and that's what we had to do. And so those, that's what those first two years were, was just how are we going to build this? Okay. Um, so it really wasn't until middle of 2014 when we had a working product with real customers
2: so other than just trial and error how are you as you know founder and leader of the company what are you doing to accelerate your rate of learning outside of just well let's give it a shot and see what happens
1: yeah well i can tell you from starting the business seven years ago i feel like the amount i've learned eclipsed everything that i had done before that so the 15 prior working years experience about like one year relative. Yeah. And, and uh, that, that's really the best way to just kind of propel your learning is get your hands dirty, get in it. If there are tools that are going to help you, being the one to initially learn those tools is a great way to just kind of figure everything out. And a lot of times when you're trying to figure out a tool, you'll end up learning your best practice because of it. Um, and how to, right. how to use that tool forces you to learn the process as well. Yeah, yeah,
2: and I mean, and I can speak. So you know, shedding some light on the roles since I've been here at Avail, Lawrence has been leading. Well, we just brought on a new product manager, which is amazing. Yes, and and, and that's gonna do all kinds of things for us. But I mean, you're leading product and engineering, and previously marketing, and you know, operations of the company, and you know, then there's the data download of everything we've done. And being
1: a landlord- make, of, making me anxious already. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, there's all those things. I mean, it's a lot of stuff. And so, you know, I think that it's important, you know, especially because I know that there's some uh, other founders who are listening to the show who are, you know, their companies have yet to break 10 employees or they haven't made it past seed round funding. And, you know, there's significant milestones in there. You know, what gets you to your family friends round and then gets you to your seed round and then gets you to your A round those are really big jumps. On paper, it looks like they're just one dot to the next. But as a business, those are really significant jumps as far as what the business has to be doing, what it's accomplishing, and then being set up to get set at the next level. And I think that it's, it's probably really beneficial for people to hear that uh, before they start down that path of just know, like, there's going to be some really big Hills.
1: Yeah. And when when Ryan and I started, it was just the two of us. And we thought, well man, if we could just get a friends and family or angel around, things are gonna be so easy and great. And then (laughs) and then you take your friends and family's money and you're like, oh no, now I can't lose their money. That's my dad's money. Yeah. Um even and then, you know, your dad's getting his buddies on it. And you're like, you, you feel like this sense of moral responsibility around it. And things didn't become easier. They became considerably harder because now you're looking at it. It's not just I'm trying to start this business, but now I'm also right. a steward for this capital I just took. And I can't let You got to go see them at Christmas. Yeah. I, and I can't let them down. I can't be at the, the table, you know, eating whatever reading, be like, oh, by the way, we lost all your money. Right. Um, so it, it got harder. And then I feel like that has happened with each round that yeah. we've done. So then you, you take the seed round and now it's significant money. Now you're talking in the millions. And You think if only I could just close the seed round, we can start hiring people and starting to grow and things will get easier. And what you find is, yeah, you can start hiring people and that only makes the problems larger. Yeah. Now you've got to figure out all these things that I didn't have to figure out before. I didn't have to motivate myself. I was always motivated, but now I have to motivate my team. and I have to figure out how to train my team and grow the team. And I yeah. And how to figure out the right priorities for them, and how to help them figure out the right priorities. It ends up being like a tenfold increase in um, work, anxiety, problems, everything. Each yeah. round has made it harder.
2: Yeah, let me let me hit you with one that I know you're probably not going to want to talk about. So, um, when uh, uh, every once in a while, I, I like to geek out about the industry, okay. specifically real estate, tech, and what's happening and who's doing what and where they're at, who's hired who, who's hiring. I start speculating where people are at in their stages and I'll be like, Lawrence, have you heard of this weird company? They're like, they just started out in Oakland. They're operating out of garage. Like, nope, never. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I'll focus on those. And, and you know, and, I, and obviously like that's the difference. Like kind of split. Like Ryan is very much outpacing everyone, which by the way, like I don't think I'm about, I don't know if I said this before, but like Ryan's network I, it's got to be more prolific than anyone I've known. I know. I know
1: easily by far, uh, especially now. Uh, it was before too. Just the the amount of people he knows and is actually friendly with. It's not just like, hey, let's go on LinkedIn and start connections. He we, we,
2: we, we, we going to New York when
1: well, we went to New York
2: for our, our Cheddar TV uh, uh, segment. We saw three people from flying from Chicago to New York. Three people came up to Ryan. In between the Chicago airport and New and New York airport, I'm like, hey Ryan, what are you doing? What's going on, man? I heard yeah. your business is taking off, and it was, he's it.
1: like, he, he said it doesn't happen all the time. I don't believe it. No, I think it does happen all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a, he's a mini celebrity in that, yeah. way. and that happens when, when we go out to San Francisco. There's will randomly run into people he knows, and yep. um, that's good, and and it highlights where his strengths are, which is more on building the relationships. Yep. Um, he tends to focus that therefore on the fundraising on. PR on those things, and I'll focus more yep. internally in the company, which is why I don't typically notice necessarily what competitors are doing. Um, one, because I'm just heads down working, trying to build our own product, so I right. focus more on our customer than our competitors. Yeah, But also because uh, I think about our target customer, the do-it-yourself landlord, 8 million of them, none of our competitors have any meaningful market share. And so because of that, I just tend to think it's not worth looking at them as much. So that's what I wanted to ask about. It's like,
2: you know, we have a lot of people who are chasing after... The same space we're chasing after, but also related or like tertiary, you know, point solutions that are going after like one segment. Why do you think so many people are trying to reach the everyday average
1: DIY landlord? Well, I think a couple reasons. The first being that do-it-yourself landlords are probably underserved in the market. So you think of like a large uh, property manager or company which maybe has 10,000 units, they're very well served. And you have people doing outreach trying to get them and offering them multitude of services. But the do-it-yourself land, they're really hard to find. So they're mostly underserved because there is no one to serve them. Yeah. And so there's a huge growing need. Uh, you can see that they are searching for solutions when you go to Google and you look at search trends. And so anytime you have an underserved market, you're going to eventually have people wanting to come in there and figure it out. And then the other reason people are trying to do it is because I think the goal is if you can figure out how to defragment all of these landlords who right now right. aren't in a community with each other. They don't necessarily talk to each other, but if right. you can bring them under one house or one roof in a way, right. um, you unlock a lot of potential for for them and then for our business. Um, you can just negotiate on their behalf to get them better deals or help them get transactions that are going to remove middlemen that save them money. There's a whole bunch of things that start to happen when you can get them all under one roof. And right. I mean, that's a large, large focus for us.
2: Maybe you could talk about, um, so obviously there's a lot to accomplish there. Um, why, or what's the real difference that makes a marketing so good at accomplishing that? Well, I think many reasons why marketing is good. Uh, for those of you who don't know my position, if I haven't said it enough, I'm director of marketing here at Avail.
1: So the first thing is our marketing is geared towards people who are looking for a solution. I yep. think that helps, right? We're not, we don't try to put on a heavy sales coat to anything. So people don't yep. feel like they're being sold to. They feel like they're trying to go buy something and that automatically puts you in a better position. So a lot of our marketing tends to be focused then on search and just satisfying what people are searching for. And yep. That's a huge win for us. Um, and then I think the second thing, and I think this just highlights where we've grown since you've come on board. is just the scrappy nature we have on marketing where it's this, let's figure it out. Let's test it. Let's prod, let's poke it and see what it does. Um, and then we'll learn and A/B test from it and iterate and mm-hmm. those kinds of, that kind of thinking is what allows us to really grow a marketing team. And that's what we started doing since you've come on board.
2: Yeah, I think, um, uh, when you use the word scrappy, it really resonates with me. I think I might have been 15 years old. I was a sophomore in high school. Pretty sure we were playing the uh, St. Pius Lions. I was a nose guard for our varsity football team. And uh, I remember the watching the replay of the game. You, know, you go back and watch the game. Of course, yeah. And my, my eighth grade teacher was actually the TV color commentary for the local TV station he called me Scrappy because here I was, you know, 180 pounds soaking wet out there against everyone else who was a solid 40 pounds over me, you know, breaking through the line that caused the fumble and called me Scrappy. So I've always, I've always directly identified with, okay, that's cool. I like Scrappy. Scrappy's like, don't see me come in. You know, you find all the different possibilities. You don't have a big check to write. And even if you do, just kind of put that away for like, you know, when Hellfire and Brimstone is coming down, then maybe get the
1: checkbook out. I think Scrappy sets people up and on the right path. I don't remember whose quote this was from, but if you, and this is just something we live by, but if you have more money than brains, you're going to spend a lot of money trying to build a business. But if you have more brains than money, you're going to build a long-term meaningful business that's going to really work in the long term. So we tend to think Scrappiness is what pushes us down that path of having, forcing us to have more brains than money. And that's allowed us to be uh, much better at building a business. Yeah,
2: I'm not going to get on a political tirade this uh, this episode, <laughs> but I mean, obviously, the government in many ways lacks scrappiness. They don't yeah. lack a checkbook. <laughs> yeah. I don't think anybody
1: is saying, wow, "Wow, they were they were so scrappy about how they got that done." Yeah. Well, the other thing that I think <laughs> is missing there uh, is just ownership, mm. and I think that causes a lot of that as well. And uh, that's why also I think real estate investing is such a good thing too, because it teaches that ownership, it teaches that scrappiness. Right. And you tend to think I've got this physical asset, it's mine. You'll start to make decisions realizing hey, this isn't the best interest for me. And that's why I, I love the do-it-yourself landlord space. Do you think it. everyone should invest in real estate? Uh, if they can, yeah, I think they should. What about the personal home? This has been a, this yeah. has been a hotly debated topic. As a, as a all, primary? All year.
2: Gary Vaynerchuk's. Really ticked off a lot of real estate agents this year when he said, you know, owning a home is stupid. I, I regret owning a home. I, I feel like I should never own my own home. You should rent where you live, be scrappy. And I don't know if he used the word scrappy, but you know, as a, the concept is, you know, especially if you're trying to build a business, yeah. why would you tie up that capital in a home when you could be using it elsewhere? Grant Cardone talks about this, you know, you know, rent what you own and live where you rent. is sure. kind of what
1: he'll talk about. Yeah, and I actually agree with Gary on this. Uh, I don't think he's the first to say it. I think Professor Robert Schiller from the Case Schiller Index had said this 15 years ago or longer. And, yeah. and he's done many studies which show like if you take a, an average house for buying it versus renting it, financially, you're always better <laughs> off renting it. And I think he looked at 40,000 plus houses and came to that conclusion. Um, I think there's a lot of reasons why though. I I think one, you don't want to buy a depreciating asset. And I think most people think their primary residence is an appreciating asset, and in reality it isn't. We get the feeling that it's appreciating, but that's only because of how much money we're having to sink into it every single year, trying to maintain it or upkeep it. What appreciates is the land, but that's only a small fraction of what the property is itself. And especially if you're in an area like Chicago where it's really densely populated, there's not much land underneath that asset anyway. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to end up with a depreciating asset unless you just send tons of money. And so I agree with both of them. Uh, I think there are reasons to own a primary residence, but those shouldn't be financial reasons. I think if you want to have a sense of control and maybe a sense of ownership in your community, then you know owning it is fine. But I think you have to realize you're looking at it from more of an emotional lens, right. than not a financial one. Yeah, uh,
2: I can tell you from not having to live in a home I've owned for the last few years, uh, I have spent zero dollars on maintenance <laughs> and repair because I, I don't have to. Whereas on the property we do own, we've updated electrical panels. Uh, I had to put in new lights, new water heater, fix the toilet, fix the 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 what do you call that? The dishwasher. You know, we had to just change an outlet recently, and there was like some wiring that had to get changed. I mean, it really has been it's it's been like. You know, the Indian motorcycle that I want to buy, I, I already bought it.
1: It just came in the form of home repair. Yeah. And with the six units I have now, there's, def- there's a maintenance requests at least every other week yeah. coming, coming from my tenants. Uh, recently, like power outlet wasn't working in a bedroom. and So, you, uh, yeah, you, you start having to think about, okay, I need to fix those. If I lived there, I may have just postponed that a year. Right. right, Because it's tenant occupied, you well, want to they're paying it, for it. They're paying for it, and you, and because of that, they have a the right to have everything work. Yeah. And, and so, you yeah, know, we'll go in right away and fix those things. Yeah. Um, but that—that's the other side of being like the the landowners. You have that sense of responsibility. You have to do it. If I lived there, I probably would have postponed it. But it's a different trade-off. Yeah, this is kind of like me on a T-Mobile yesterday
2: because they they said they'd give us forty-five bucks for our old phone, which forty-five dollars to trade in an iPhone six s. I thought that was just. It's like, man, that really went downhill fast. Well, I think the six is pretty old now. Yeah, it's <laughs> old.
0: But then they came back and said,
2: you only get 30 bucks because you didn't turn in the phone that you had on your slip. That's not true. T-Mobile, you really did me wrong and I'm, I'm sour about it, but I'll get over it. It's $15. Maybe
1: they're listening and they can, <laughs> they can make it right.
2: <laughs> I doubt they're actually listening to this. Uh, we do have a few people in here. Uh, you know, make this interesting. I've got my phone sitting right here. Uh, I've never done this. This will be a first ever. Uh, if you want to call in, this will be kind of fun. If you want to call in, I'll take a live caller, uh, 484-948-0578. That's 484-948-0578. Forgot my phone number for a minute. Uh, I'll take a live caller and we'll see. I don't know. I doubt anyone's actually going to call because, you know, we're only streaming on Facebook. It's like, it's eight o'clock in the morning. So yeah.
1: you people should be going to work and please save the uh, death threats for email. instead. <laughs> <laughs> I, I doubt that's going to happen. All right. So let's talk about, um,
2: next steps. So, um, you know, without going in and, and, and spilling too many of the beans of what we're working on here, because I keep giving people clues on Facebook and Instagram of like some of the big things we have happened, but I don't ever tell anybody. So let's not tell them the details. Uh, but we've been working on infrastructure is building our business, right? Um, and I think this is a valuable thing for any business at any level. You know, what's some of the things over the last few months as we've been building out our infrastructure, building out our teams, our systems and processes, and really taking things to the next level. What are some of the things that you've learned in those last few months? And, um, what do you think, uh, for someone who's about to go through similar stages as us What's some of the things they they should be looking for inside of their business? And specifically, you know, it's a tech company. So other tech companies, what should they be looking for and maybe even looking out for?
1: Sure. Well, um, I think what I'm going to mention first is probably not even a tech thing. So we doubled the size of the business last year uh, in in everything, revenue and terms of um, number of users on the platform. But I think the one that was the hardest for us were employees. We doubled the number of employees we had. We went from... 12 to 24, and I think people have to realize that any business is a summation of their employees. And if at that time we're like, we're like, hey, let's hire these employees and we'll grow faster, but we didn't put in as much effort into the onboarding that we needed to and the training, get those employees up to speed. That was a huge, painful lesson. I think a lot of people stumbled around for the first several months and we made some mistakes. I think we could have really gone faster. And I think that was a mistake uh, mostly on my side, is how do I set these 12 or 13 new hires up for success? And now going into 2020, where we'll, we'll probably double the team size again, uh, we're not wanting to make those same mistakes. So we have started putting in a lot more infrastructure around what, recruiting and onboarding um, to make sure that employees are getting trained and educated on avail much quicker, much faster, in a more seamless way. Uh, So some of those recommendations that I I, I think that come out of that is our 100-day plans for each employee, um, which really helps set expectations. Here's what you're going to be responsible for and here's how we're going to transition that to you over 100 days, I think is a really valuable tool. We just did that with our head of product hire and um, I think that's been working really well. So that's the big thing. It's just any business is essentially a summation of people and figuring out how to onboard them correctly is the is the most important thing in terms of other infrastructure for anyone who's doing a tech startup. Um, there's always a balance and trade off between letting your code quality be um, shippable instantly versus like, you know, you take, you wait and make sure it's really good. Um, there's a quality timeliness trade off. And I think for the first three years we tended to focus on let's ship fast and iterate. And so the code was good, but not great. And now we probably making a port in some way where we're having to yep. upgrade some old libraries that are probably seven years old for the first time. Uh, and that causes some headaches. I don't know that I would have changed that approach because it, had we not shipped sooner the business may not be here. Yep. But certainly now you have to realize in the future, you're going to have to come back to any of these things that you just leave yep. on the table and you'll have to figure out what to do then yeah I
2: mean there's opportunity cost in that time. You can sit around and try and get it perfect or you can use the modern tech all the time or you can always upgrade this that and the other, but then your speed to market, which really right now i mean that's that's the day and age we live in is speed to market and solving someone's problem today is is so important to get that out and I, I always equate it back to you know um I had a lot of people tell me uh years ago. No, Nate. You really should focus on paying down your student debt. I had quite a bit of student debt. I had some loans that had stupid interest rates on it, and I really started to think about it. I got to like one point where like things were working, and I was stockpiling cash like a squirrel with acorns. And I was like, I got to do something. And for me at the time, it was, it, was, it was a it was a fair chunk of money. It was you know I, I think it was the first time I'd ever had ten thousand bucks in my bank oh. account. And so if I was like, oh man, I never thought I'd have $10,000 in the bank account. And then um, I was like, okay, well I could try to buy a house, you know, and, and do this investment thing or I can pay on student loans. And I was like, well, if I pay down the student loans, that's cool. But then I don't have any money coming in and then I don't, you know, like, I, like I'd make progress towards something, but I, it wouldn't compound. And I'm glad I didn't
1: listen to Dave Ramsey because yeah, Dave Ramsey would have, would have been mathematically incorrect on this. Yeah, I think a lot of the advice that Dave Ramsey or others like him give are meant for like the average person who doesn't want to think it through all the way or doesn't want, right. doesn't want to take any risk whatsoever. Because I think... You could pay down your student loans, that's the least risky thing. There's a risk reward trade-off. Sure. I think that has yep. to happen. But it, if you start thinking about what you're doing as a business and real estate as a business, that's when you start comparing, hey, this is the rate of return I'm gonna get if I pay down my loan, yeah. versus if I have my own house, versus a rental property. It all starts with just, hey, I'm I'm wanting to be a real estate business, even if you don't have the real estate yet, and then you right. It'll help force making the right decisions.
2: Yeah, it, no, it was it was totally the right decision. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, still that house. It's been good. Uh, let's see here. I want to, you know, I did put together a script here for this call, but you know, I kind of I've been taking what uh, I'm going to call the Oprah approach.
1: Okay. Uh, Oprah, is there something under my chair? Is there, <laughs> is there money? You get a car!
2: No, so Oprah doesn't do uh, a script.
1: Okay.
2: Yeah. Uh, who was it recently that I was... I don't think
1: I was in her target audience.
2: No, well, I was, I was listening to someone else talk about interviewing, and they mentioned that they got to interview Oprah. Oh, it was Ben Horwitz, in Ben okay. Horowitz's new book. And he was talking about how he interviewed Oprah. I'm pretty sure it was. And uh, he asked Oprah, like, hey, how do you... Uh, how are you so good at what you do? Like, and she said, "Well, number one, don't read off a list of questions because you never get the follow-up question if you're not listening."
1: Yeah, it doesn't feel natural.
2: And then uh, the number two is, you know, she like meets with them beforehand and asks, "What's your message and how can I help you succeed?" Okay. You need to trust me. We did
1: not do that, so I, I could have, Lawrence, trust me. Yeah, no, that's totally so <laughs> good. And I think, as far as the message goes, I think you know our message now better. Than I know, us. I know our <laughs> message. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's let's move down into. Uh,
2: all right, let's talk about this. So we, we're going into funding. So you're pretty well versed now on like you know the process in raising money, uh, what it means for the business operationally, what it means as a founder, you know, equity wise, what it means for reporting to your early investors and getting them on board when you take on new investments and even employees, because we have an equity share program here at Avail. So we all, and you've said this a few times, like you see us as not just employees, but as co-founders, because we all have a share in the success of what we're working towards. Um, First, uh, why do you think that uh, so many many companies right now are racing to raise money? And, um, you know, I know that you're not like, You know, heads down in the industry, but you know, what's your what's your opinion as far as like, uh, is it overhyped in needing to raise money, or do you think that that's a a necessary requirement to build a big business
1: today? Uh, Well, I don't know if it's necessary, but it can certainly help. Uh, I don't. For us, it was never we never set out to start a business with the goal of let's raise money. I I I think that's a bad approach. The money should be raised for. specific tangible purpose for us that is marketing dollars. So we don't, we don't raise money to keep the lights on or pay employee salaries that that has been paid for by um, just operations of the business. We make enough revenue from what we do to cover the daily activities. So it's much better and easier to go out and raising money for a specific reason. For us, it's growth. We want to grow faster. And uh, when you can tell an investor, we're putting all of this money on marketing, makes them feel a lot better than saying, hey, we're putting this money on lights while we try to figure out how to solve problems. Um, so for anyone who's thinking about raising money, they should really think about what it is that they're raising the money for. Mm-hmm. Because if you raise it to keep the lights on, you're all you're doing is serving to dilute yourself and your any prior investors. And right. you, it's not a really good ROI for that money. So uh, in that case, especially in Chicago, I would tend to recommend that people stay scrappy, bootstrap it longer. Um, They have a different mentality to that on the coasts. So, you know, if someone's on the West Coast or East Coast listening to this, they may completely disagree with that opinion. But that that is the opinion we have here.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And that's not one of the things like I think you were mentioning earlier, like buying or investing into depreciating assets. Like you think about it, you're raising money and then you go out and you get Mm -hmm. a good office. Number one, like you're not getting, I mean, I guess suppose you could say like the space, of the office enables you to build a business, but if you're buying furniture and tables and chairs like i mean you you just like you just burned cash the moment you yeah. do that like it burn it goes up in flames
1: yeah. the moment that, you do that that being said even if you even if you do or don't raise money we're still spending money on rent and furniture and chairs and th- and those are yeah. still depreciated. it's every dollar of revenue we take in we have to decide what we're going to do with it is that going to go towards a tool we use. Right. So every dollar spent is a decision-making process where there is an investment underlying it. And sometimes you have to make those investment decisions that are going to boost morale, morale boost productivity, right. uh, retains employees. So there are, you're just never going to get away from it. We, we have a unique one. In our office? Yeah. Go on. The 312. Oh, yeah. The, we have a 312. We've got a couple. Yeah, so what's the 312? Because I've never heard of this. So 312 so is the area code here in Chicago. So if you're making a phone call, it's going to start with a 312. Right. So we have uh, a policy here called 312 where uh, if three people from the company want to get together um, in, uh, up to twice a week, they can get one drink. So it's like a three-people, one drink up to twice a week, and the company will pay for that 312.
2: Yeah, so let's call it what it is. You get company paid initial happy hour.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's so kind of cool for us. That's important. I think it's a nice allowance to the city to name it. Yeah, or two because um, it's where we're building. But also, you one of the big things is you need employees to really get together. Um, yeah. to build team build, and a lot of that does occur socially with some drinks, and so. Um, we're not trying to encourage alcoholism or anything, but we definitely are trying to encourage people getting together socially.
2: Yeah. And so like an example of this, so, I mean, that extends out, like, uh, I've kind of joked with some friends. I was like, you know, it's almost like there there's elements of being here that feel like the TV show, the office, not the ridiculousness. And, and Lawrence is a little far cry from Michael Scott, but, uh, it's like people hanging out outside of work. So like one of our employees is a, is a, uh, um, improv, um, oh, yeah. uh, like, yeah, like com- comedian. Is that what you said? Uh, actress yeah. Yeah. improv actress. Yeah, there we go. And, she, you know, we, on a Friday night, more than half the company went out and gave up their Friday night to go support her opening show, you know uh, down at the, was it second city? Second city
1: improvised bachelorette. Yeah. That's right. which, which was pretty good. And I think, I think they have a repeat show coming up now in February. Yeah. I just found him on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. If, <laughs> if, if you want to like him on Instagram, improvised bachelorette. You don't like on Instagram, you follow. Oh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to shift
2: into, uh, the, the bottom segments of the show. This is the, the portion of the show. That's my favorite. Uh, So this is called For the Future. For the Future is where I ask each guest who comes to the show to give their best predictions based on the following four questions. Lawrence, are you ready to play? Sure. All right. Question number one.
1: Where is Veil one year from now? Sure. So one year from now, we'll be approaching 2021. Yeah. I think we'll be at a position where... I think everyone in the United States will have heard of us. So right now, I think it's really limited to a small subset. Uh, I think we'll be a lot more well-known. Uh, we'll be closer to you know three hundred, four hundred thousand landlords yeah. having accounts with us, um, a million tenants. So at that point, I think more well-known. I think uh, a lot of the skills on the team will have grown tremendously. Hopefully, more landlords on the team, uh, maybe through hiring landlords, but also through you know. I'm we want a world where there are more responsible landlords. So hopefully some of our current employees can start to partake. So I think that's where we'll be. All right. Question number two,
2: what does the real estate market look like one year from now?
1: Yeah, that's a tough one. I, I, I get worried sometimes that especially on buying private residences and just residential real estate, uh, that there might be another bubble forming. So I don't want to say that there'll be a huge crash. So, in, in which case, then I'll say, I think one year from now, real estate prices will be the highest they've ever been.
2: Yeah, I, I tend to agree that I think that we have, um, I think we have a little bit of a leveling off, uh, both on demand, because of affordability, which will squeeze supply. People won't be able to move, they won't be able to buy anything else, yeah. it's we have some issues in the residential space that are getting exacerbated.
1: Yeah. Well, property taxes keep going up and interest rates are already very low, so they can't stay low forever. So I think rising interest rates and yep. property taxes going up are just going to make housing yep. unaffordable. Yeah. Um, let's see here.
2: I don't have all these questions memorized. I got to look at the script. Oh, sorry. Uh, what's one what issue trend you think will continue, but you wish would go away?
1: Social media, (laughs) the, uh, the idea that we have to have everything be on Facebook live (laughs) as we're we're Facebook, uh, streaming right now. Yeah. Um, I I think there's a, uh, we're, we're a place where everyone wants to feel validated and recognized and the easiest, clearest path for them is through social media. Right. And I think it ends up backfiring for most where they Mm -hmm. don't, they, they think if you put something out there on social media, that I'm instantly going to become recognized. My friends will love me. And then they get ignored, it's and TikTok then TikTok now. Yeah, TikTok, TikTok, yeah. TikTok
2: just breached or, or breached. Yeah, they. <laughs> I they, breached is probably the right word. right. <laughs> <laughs> no, they just surpassed a billion users faster than any social network.
1: Fantastic. So I, I do see that as a trend continuing. That be.
2: or a billion downloads. I don't think it was a billion users. a billion downloads.
1: Okay. Yeah, which is, let's just be real.
2: In some way, shape, or form, it's a bit of a vanity network uh, metric. I still don't understand TikTok. Gary Vaynerchuk told me to spend an hour on TikTok and just consume, and that that I would get it. I don't get it, and you know I'm not going to start singing and dancing.
1: Yeah, I would recommend people, you know, get back to doing real things. You know, get back to your job. Spend the hour trying to figure out how you're going to get that promotion this year, and then don't worry about TikTok.
2: Lawrence is the uh, the anti millennial. Millennial. He doesn't want to. He he doesn't want to identify as millennial. <laughs>
1: We don't have to, we don't have to get into that today.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Question number four, final one for the future. What's one thing you believe will dramatically change or fade away as a result of technological advances?
1: Uh, I think we're seeing this across multiple industries, uh, intermediaries in general. Oh, wait, we got
2: a, we got a caller. Let's see if this is a live caller from our stream. Hello? Hey, what's up?
1: My name is Steve Wynden. I, I heard that you guys were taking live calls the first time. I didn't really <laughs> want to pass up on that
2: opportunity. We got a live caller. This has never happened. So we got Steve Wynden on the on the phone. He was uh, watching on Facebook Live. We totally interrupted the show to take this call. Steve, what's your question for Lawrence? Make it hey, easy. Hey,
1: man. So um, I joined about halfway through. I don't know if you already covered this, but one thing I always love hearing about from other founders is like, what's uh, what's a feature? Or a business decision that you made that turned out totally unexpectedly, either for better or for worse, whatever it is, does it not go as you planned? Yeah, I I think one of the this is both like a win and a loss for us in some ways. So I think when we started the business, we had looked at lean methodology, and that would prescribe to us like, hey, choose and build just one feature and nail that feature, and then expand on your features. And when we were building it, we're like, hey, screw that, we're not going to follow that. We're going to build five major features all at once for our customers. And that ended up being, you know, tenant the like listing syndication where we'll publish across the web, plus tenant screening hooking into TransUnion, plus digital leasing that you can sign online and have state-specific templates, plus rent payments, plus maintenance, and we're like, yeah, we're just gonna build all of these things. So uh, that's a huge fail in terms of how you go about building the business. It's really complex. Where do you put the focus? Um, It's really hard to market something like that. Uh, That was a huge fail for us, but also an unexpected win because now that we have those things and we look at how we price the product and how we go to market, um, having multiple features that generate multiple revenue streams has created somewhat of a competitive advantage for us. It's hard for someone who only does tenant screening to compete for customers with us because we're a super set of what they do and it allows us to pay more for a customer which has allowed us to grow faster and grow our marketing, spend faster and more profitably. So um, unexpected win on something that is definitely a mistake.
2: There we go. Hey, Steve, appreciate you calling in. Uh, Thanks for that
1: question. Okay, there we go. Well, Steve. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you'll, 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 have to, you'll have to remind me on what that last question was. Oh, so uh, what's,
2: what, what's one thing in real estate you think will
1: dramatically change
2: or fade away as a result of technological advances? Got it. I remember.
1: Um, so I was mentioning, I think this is something that's true of most industries in real estate. It's probably the laggard here, but removing intermediaries. So you see it with taxi dispatchers and how Uber and Lyft have basically eliminated taxi dispatchers. Uh, you see it in other industries, I think it's going to happen in real estate as well, where real estate brokers and agents and also property managers, um, they, there might be a different world that they're operating in in the future, not necessarily yep. completely displaced, but I think the way they'll provide value and add value has got to start to be different.
2: Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. And uh, I'll save that tirade for another day as well. Uh, we're going to move into the final section. This is where listeners get to learn more about you uh, and uh, your interests. So the first one is, what are you reading?
1: Yeah, so now most of the stuff I read tends to be super technical in nature. I wish I could get back to like uh, some of the, the more fun books like Gary Vundertruck's books. Uh, but I'll, I'll end up reading documentation a lot for how to use Iterable, which is a behavior-based email marketing platform we we'll use, or how to use smart payables, and what does their API look like. That's almost 100% of my reading. At this point, that's boring. Yeah. Well, actually, I enjoy it. Um, I find that I, I learn a lot from those things, Yeah. Um, both in terms of how to architect a platform, which is super helpful for us, as well as how to architect an API. This is why you lead
2: operations at the company.
1: Yeah. That well, <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, I mandated it, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Uh, cool. What, question number two Who are you learning from?
1: Right now, in an interesting way, I feel like I'm learning from everyone who's working at Avail. Um, Everyone that we've brought on, we've brought on has a different skill set than me and a different personality. Uh, I tend to, I think, have a very vanilla personality in a way. And everyone else on the team has super interesting personalities and different backgrounds. And there's a remarkable amount of learning that's happening there. Yep. Um, and then there's also some skills that I'm learning from that some of it being patience because a lot of the people on our team are younger and less experienced um, But some of it just being like wow I'm I'm getting an opportunity here to be educated from the bottom up and uh, yep. certainly appreciate those things. Yep All right, and the last one here. What inspires you? Uh, well, I've got two little girls um, at home. So I've got kids, uh, a three and a half year old, and um, one who's about to turn six. So I tend to think about where do I want things to be in 10 years um, for them. And I, I tend to think about I want to maintain a relationship with them. I want the world to be better for them. Yep. I would love to have a business that they can come into and learn from. I'd love for them to become entrepreneurs. So a lot of the stuff I do now, I, I think about well, how will they be impacted by it and what yep. can I do to set them up for it in a way. Um, so that inspires me. When Here, I, I, I thought, thought the dreams was just having a yacht and retiring down on the beach, Miami or something. But no, I get I get <laughs> seasick, so yacht's not you know yeah it's not going to do it for me. Maybe like a bus conversion that has a living room. in there. Yes, so yeah, yeah.
2: vagabonds Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm going to do in about five six years. Perfect. Yeah, there that's going to be
1: earlier than me, I think. Okay. <laughs> I mean, we only have a dog, so oh, it makes it easier. Yeah. I need I need a three bedroom bus, I guess. <laughs> Uh, okay, well, before we wrap
2: up here, you know, this has been fun. Uh, also, you and I have to get to our day jobs. Um, before we close out, for those who are listening who want to reach you or want to learn more about Avail, where do they go and how can you do that?
1: Sure. Well, easiest way is to go to the website, which is just avail.co, A-V-A-I-L.co. And I'm sure Nate will put a link somewhere in whatever. The be, so yeah, there. you can get a link
2: in, in the description. Um, yeah. And then if you
1: want to email us, you can just email us at hello at uh, that's going to go to Nate and myself, and we're happy to yep. answer any questions, talk with anybody. We love to learn. Uh, oftentimes, we'll try to get on the phone with customers or anybody. It's never to try to convince them to be a customer or to change their behaviors. We just want to learn how they're doing, whatever yep. they're doing. Hit us up and help us learn.
2: There you have it. Well, uh, we're going we're gonna to get back to our daily jobs. Uh, thanks, everyone who tuned in. Uh, and for calling in. That was kind of fun. Maybe we'll do that again. I don't know. Um, If you guys are up later, well, for those who are watching, if you're up later tonight, 9 p.m. Central, uh, we're doing another live podcast. We'll be talking about co-living uh, but until then uh, Lawrence appreciate your time thanks so much uh, let's get at it
1: great this is great thanks Nate
0: well that's it for today thanks so much for listening to the TechNest podcast hey don't forget you can get on the email list you never miss an upcoming episode that's TechNest.io that's T-E-C-H N-E-S-T dot I-O get on the email list uh, go to the app store where you found us on iTunes, Stitcher SoundCloud wherever you found us leave us a 5 star review and share it with your friends And if you've got a guest or someone that you'd like to recommend or if you think that you'd be a great guest on the show, hey, send me an email, nate at realteampanda.com. That's nate at realteampanda.com. See you guys later.